You may find it helpful if you follow along in Matthew chapter 16. Some of the key verses will go up on the screen, but you may be helped uh, having it at your fingertips. And if you are looking at the passage or if you're calling it now to your mind, uh, you'll immediately identify that there are two major layers to this passage in Matthew 16. First, the first layer is that well-known confession of faith that is made by Peter regarding the identity of Jesus. Where Peter answers the question of who Jesus is and he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The second layer in the passage relates to what Jesus says, what Jesus confesses, about the church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Well, the second layer, as you might have already guessed, depends heavily upon the first layer. The the reason we can be confident about the progress and expansion of the Christian church in this world has everything to do with who Jesus is. It has everything to do with His nature. But is that what we are seeing? You may have already figured out that the sermon title this morning, Heaven's Unstoppable Force, is a reference to the Christian church. But let's be honest. When you think of descriptive words for the church, if someone says, tell me something about the church, unstoppable is not one of the first descriptives you think of. We don't normally think of the Christian church in this world as an unstoppable force. In our experience, it's quite the opposite. In our experience, the Christian church seems to be easily stopped. Easily held up by a number of things. It's possible that your experience within the church has been exactly the same as mine. I've watched churches growth stunted by infighting, by bickering, and the growth stops. I've watched congregation close their doors forever. Because they couldn't come up with sufficient funds to run the church. I've seen churches influenced by liberal theology become ineffective instruments for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've observed churches come apart at the seams because of the moral failure of one of their leaders. If your experience has been at all like mine, You've seen a church that is easily stopped by the things that can go wrong within its walls. I would, if I were making an assessment about the Christian church today, if I were making an evaluation that was based entirely upon my experience with the church, I would not use the descriptive unstoppable. I would not use that descriptive. Based on my experience. But then I come to this promise. I come to this passage of scripture. And I'm led to believe that I should be following a different reality. That though my experience on the one hand says the church is easily stopped. The Bible on the other hand says it's unstoppable. 
how do I reconcile these two realities? How do we reconcile the promise of an unstoppable church and our experience of an ineffective church? Well, to answer that, I think we first need to be clear about what we mean when we use the word church. What do we mean when we use the word church? Because Jesus had a particular use for the word. Jesus had a particular meaning in mind when he used the word. It's the Greek word ekklesia. And I always pronounce it poorly. My Greek isn't the best. Peter Bates will set me straight afterwards. But the biblical word, the Greek word, is ekklesia. And in the New Testament, ekklesia always refers to people. And it never, ever, ever refers to a building. Ecclesia translated church always refers to people. So it's not accurate. You might have said it to someone this morning. I've probably said it a dozen times this year. But it's not accurate to say, I've come to church today. Or I'm going to church. Because according to the scripture, church is not some place you go. Church is something you are. In a biblical sense, the church is a group of people called by God. The church is a group of people assembled by God. And what we find out in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation is it's possible to gather like a church without God really identifying you in that way. It's possible to identify yourself as being a part of a church without God identifying the group as such. Let me give you an example from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Writing to the church in Sardis, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds and that you have a reputation of being alive. But in actual fact... You're dead. In other words, I know you have a property where you gather week by week. I realize you have a sign out front that has the word church on it. But you're not acting like a church. You're not acting like my church. To put it more simply, the testimony of Scripture reveals that there are churches that aren't really churches. And that can be true in a seasonal sense. I don't want to get into trouble here. I'm not 204 years of age. But my best guess is that there may have been seasons in this church's history when it wasn't really a church. When we had the sign out front, we had the building up and the people gathered. But there may have been seasons in our 204 year history where we weren't acting like a real church. And I don't want us to spend too much time and energy trying to sort out which are the genuine churches. I don't want you to do the math on all the churches that you know on this island and think, oh, that's a genuine church. Oh, that one's them. Don't spend all that time thinking it through. But there is a noticeable marker that Scripture gives us. There's a noticeable marker to help us see genuine gatherings of God's people. And this is it. Churches that belong to Jesus will grow. Churches that belong to Jesus will grow. 
Jesus does not say, I promise to build every congregation that there is. All you have to do is put up a building, put out a sign, I'll build up every manifestation of a church there is. He doesn't say that. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus builds churches that belong to Him. If the church belongs to a pastor, if the church belongs to a group of leaders, it won't grow. Its lifespan is limited. But if the church belongs to Jesus, it's promised growth. And so the congregations that will have the greatest influence upon society are those churches that are led by, that are captained by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus talks about the church using metaphors. Sometimes the biblical metaphor for a church is a building. Remember, the church is not a building, but he uses the metaphor of a building. Sometimes the biblical metaphor for a church is a building. Sometimes the metaphor is a plant. Sometimes the metaphor is a tree. But whatever metaphor is used, it's always used to demonstrate that that thing grows. If the church is likened to a building, it's built up. If the church is likened to a tree, it grows. The principle we learn here is that gatherings connected to Jesus will most certainly be built up. Gatherings that are attached to Jesus will certainly experience growth. That makes me really happy about the future of St. Andrew's Kirk. And I realize I am, by my own position, biased about my view of this gathering. But by every appearance and evaluation that I might give, this group is connected to Jesus. We're not operating according to some popular business model. When the leaders of this church gather, we, we don't talk about you know, what, you know, what corporations are doing to build themselves up. We don't open up some, some strategy booklet on how to grow a church. We don't operate by those principles, but rather we simply have regarded that we're going to trust in the one who promises to build us. Our only plan here at St. Andrews is to be connected to the one who promises to grow us. What's the plan for St. Andrews Kirk? Call me a simple man. But our plan is to get connected to Jesus and to stay connected. If we are attached to Jesus Christ, if we are connected to His Spirit, we'll do the right things and we'll grow. Now, as we allow this metaphor to guide us, I don't want us to picture the church being built up like a house that's being constructed in a serene, suburban environment. Uh, My previous church in Toronto, it, it wasn't in downtown Toronto, it was in the suburbs where all the houses were nice and safe and it was just a beautiful place to be. I don't want you to picture the metaphor that Jesus gives like that. Because Jesus mixes the metaphor of the church being built up with an image of war. 
So he, he, and Jesus is the master at mixing metaphors. So metaphor number one is I will build my church. And what comes to mind, what comes to mind is a structure that's being built. But then he mixes a metaphor or an image into that. And he, and he says, he talks about gates. He gives us an image of war. He says the church is being built up in such a way that the gates of hell are not able to withstand the church's forward progress. Now you can imagine this. We're talking about the ancient world where many of the cities, at least uh, the ones that we would know of and study in biblical times, these cities were often surrounded by walls. And you might have more than one entrance, but however many entrances into the city there were in the entrance, it was always these mammoth gates. Mammoth in height, mammoth in depth. These were huge gates that were designed to withstand attacks. Designed to withstand the strength of a battering ram. So when Jesus says that the gates of hell are not able to withstand the church's forward progress, he's telling us something about the nature of the church and about the nature of hell's influence on the church. And this is good news. Taking our cue from the metaphor, it appears that the powers of hell have only a defensive stronghold on this world. But Jesus assures us that there is an offensive power that can defeat this stronghold and push through this stronghold. And that power belongs to the church. See, the church is not weak. The church is not lacking influence or power. That the defensive stronghold that the powers of hell have can be overcome by the church. By God's called people. By God's assembled people. We collectively possess the power that's greater than anything else in this world. I know we're not singing this hymn this morning, but the hymn, Lead On, O King Eternal, frames this beautifully. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet Amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. The hymn that we are going to sing before we adjourn this morning is the hymn, O Church Arise. And I don't know if you've ever uh, stopped to think about, I think it's the second verse in O Church Arise, our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. I don't know about you. But I lament 
how many congregations act as though the outcome were not secure. I lament how many congregations act as though we are against an enemy that was stronger than us. I lament that so many congregations that bear the name of Jesus appear to be stoppable and easily stoppable at that. But that's not us. That's not St. Andrew's. At least not today. That's not us. Because when the Son of God came to this world, He tied up the strong man. And a result of His work, the posture of our enemy is a defensive posture. And we have everything we need to invade our enemy's territory and to take his stuff. The gates of hell cannot withstand the forward movement of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church should never look like a fortress. I know this building looks like a fortress and that's good. We live in the land of many hurricanes. I'm glad this building looks like a fortress. But the way we operate, the way we gather, the way we do mission ought to never look like a fortress. You look at some Christian churches and you get the sense that people are gathering in order to protect themselves from the outside forces. Have you ever been a part of a church like that? Where you go to church the way you would hide from a storm. The, the, the church is a place, and it's not a place, but people go to the church as if it were a place to hide from the forces on the outside. But Jesus frames this in quite a different way. Jesus says the forces on the outside need protection from us. This is an amazing reality. How many Christians are gathering together to be shielded from outside forces? And Jesus says, no, the outside forces need protection from you. Because the church gathered is a powerful, unstoppable force, and hell is in trouble when you march against it. What an awesome thing. We should not fear the enemy. The enemy should fear us. We have the upper hand because of what Jesus has done. We are, by God's design, heaven's unstoppable force. Now if I can just focus this a little bit, because this is, this is extra special. The way Jesus talks about the church is absolutely distinct and unique from any and every organization on this earth. What do I mean by that? If you look through the New Testament, you're going to see something. You're going to see that the church is special, that the church has promised things, that no other gathering of people is promised. Think it through. Jesus nowhere promises that he will build his school. Jesus nowhere promises that he will build his medical facilities. Jesus nowhere promises that he will build relief agencies. Jesus nowhere promises that he will build his service clubs. 
As good as all those things are, as necessary as those things may be, we have no assurance in the scripture that he will build any of those organizations. But to the church, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Well, this morning we've welcomed a mission team from Dallas, Texas. Park City's Presbyterian Church visited us last year about this time. And they're here again to help us with our mission to the surrounding community. And while the promise of Jesus pertains to each and every gathering of God's people, I want the mission team from Park City's Presbyterian Church to be particularly encouraged by the promise Jesus makes. Because this week you are going to do some things that are going to positively affect some people and the results of those things will be felt and rippled through eternity. But what I want you to remember, what you need to remember, is you're headed into enemy territory. You're heading into very dangerous territory. Defensive structures are in place to slow your progress. Taking back captive souls will not be easy. But I want to encourage you and say that your ultimate success is promised because you are the church. Your ultimate success is promised because you are Christ's church. You belong to Him. And long after you return to Texas, the mission in the community remains with us. The mission to rescue captive souls remains with us. And it will require us to rage against the captor and to charge through his gates. Now that kind of language, that kind of metaphor of conflict may unsettle or frighten you. Unless you had this promise from Jesus. The promise that the outcome is secure. That Jesus will have the prize for which he died. An inheritance of all the nations on earth. And Jesus has given the job of laying hold of that prize to the church. What a privilege that has been entrusted to us. When I think this through, I think I've got the best job on earth. To lead a group of people to gain the prize for which Christ died. To take back captive souls. This is our work and it's a glorious privilege that Jesus says will succeed. Do you want to be a part of this? I hope you do. It's easy to be a spectator. It's easy for church to be a place you go. But church is not a place you go. Church is something you are. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. This gathering is never meant to be a holy huddle. God's design is that we would be together, but His design is also that we would work together. That we would do His work. 
Because Jesus promises to build his church. Believe this. Believe that this is his church. Believe that he will build his church. Stand on the promise that the gates of hell are not strong enough. We go forward with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing on earth that can stop the church. Amen.